No, I have a few beefs around town, and I just realized they're so petty. I know, it's so petty. It's so much fun, though. <laughs> they are fun at the start, and now I've come to the point where it's just like... Because then you'll have other people sending you stuff of like, look what this person tweeted. Is this then... subtweet about you? And I'm just like, I don't care anymore. This is Van Collar. We're at the West Coast. <laughs> My name is Mo Amir, and today on This Is Van Color, I'm joined by a bright, shining star in Vancouver's vibrant comedy scene. She's been at the comedy club for a decade despite being 24 years old. She just put out her first album, Little Bit of Buttle, available now on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all the places. She's a two-time Vancouver Comedy Award winner for Best Dirty Joke, with the type of material that makes this brown skin blush. She's been featured on Kevin Hart's LOL Network, CBC's The Debaters, and the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. And if you're still thirsty for more of her, she recently launched her own podcast, Obsessed. She's also a writer on the long-standing CBC sketch and satire institution that is This Hour Has 22 Minutes, for which she's been nominated for a Canadian Comedy Award. Fresh off a cross-Canada tour, she is Sophie Buttle. Sophie, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I, I just realized while you were doing that intro that I have really oversaturated the market of myself. I don't think there are a lot of people that are thirsting for more. <laughs> Maybe we should have just started a podcast as well. I would spin it the other way. I would say that you are everywhere. You're that popular. Right. And You're people, blown up. People love when somebody's everywhere, right? <laughs> sure, sometimes. Yeah. Nick, Nickelback's still popular, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> One of my faves. I hate to make that comparison. That's a bad start. No, I was thinking more Amy Schumer. Like, that's when people started hating her, when she's, like, started getting lots of stuff. Yeah, but she made a lot of money, so That's true. I, did, I made no money, so <laughs> let's keep that in mind. Throw that in my bio. I'm very excited to have you here. I have to be honest. In the 43 episodes that I've done of This Is Van Color, I think you are the youngest guest to ever grace the program. That's great for me because I'm not really the youngest anywhere anymore. Like when I, I obviously started super young and mm -hmm. then I was the youngest everywhere and there was like a very low bar for stuff that I had to do because like when you're the youngest then if you're mediocre, then people are just proud of you for doing something. Right. Yeah. But I'm not the youngest anywhere anymore. So there's like now I just have to be good at stuff and I don't really appreciate that kind of pressure. Yeah. It uh, it only amps up in life as you get older. Yeah. Way weird. more expectations as so you get older. So many expectations. <laughs> Still feel like a teen. Well, I have I have to admit, first of all, I'm glad that the, the taxi worked out today. I saw your Twitter storm um, last night. I was going to be a lot earlier, actually. The taxis continue to screw me over. Really? Yes. You got, we, we talked a little bit off, off mic about your beefs, but you, you got this beef against the taxi lobby. I bet, yeah, I have a heavy beef against the taxi lobby. And I did some correspondence, some on-camera correspondence stuff for 22 minutes last season. Okay. A big Vancouver correspondent. And you get to, for the most part, pick your own things you want to talk about. And my first one that I wanted to do was how we don't have fucking Uber yet. It's absolutely insane. 
We are, as you saw on my Twitter rant, we are mm-hmm. the only NHL city that does not have Uber. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So I think that we should lose our team until we get Uber. Wow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> then maybe people will pay attention to my needs. Yeah. When there are real consequences. Do you ever, do you ever wonder if you're going on national TV and, and slamming an industry? Maybe that's why they're not picking you up. They have um, you on a blacklist. Probably. <laughs> oh, man. It makes me insane, though. Like, I, why am I waiting 40 minutes for a taxi in downtown Vancouver? I call every single company for one thing. I call every cab company. Mm-hmm. And then whoever shows up first, that's who, that's who I take. Yeah. And sometimes just nobody shows up. Like... So I came from UBC to here, which is like a 30, 35 minute drive or something. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it took the guy like only like 20 minutes to get there, which is fine. But Uber happened so quickly. Like I just came from Toronto and I was Ubering like down the street. It's so convenient. Yeah. You can track it. You can you can give a compliment after. I love to give a compliment. How do you feel about Uber's business practices, though? I don't care. I think here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think it's the same thing for for like green energy. Okay. I think that um, companies should have very good practices and treat their employees properly. I think that we should all transition into a greener economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but consumers are not going to let that happen unless it's easier and cheaper. Consumers just want the easiest, cheapest thing. Yeah. And so until green stuff is easier and cheaper than fossil fuels and I don't know what electricity is made out of, but, you know, it's not, Hydro here. not solar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and until, um, you know, like Uber is just so much more convenient and cheaper than taxiing. So it's better for the consumer. Like we're, we're getting screwed over yeah. in Vancouver for not having it. Well, I appreciate your passion. And you know what? I kind of like that ultimatum. Uber or no Canucks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pulling the trigger. <laughs> Make some emails. I want I want to learn more about you, and I want to learn about your journey into comedy. As I said, you are quite young. I, I still think so. Still, thank you. Which I, anytime you say I, it, I I'm like ten years it. older than you, so you're very young to me. <laughs> but I find your your journey so intriguing because you started to go to comedy clubs like as soon as you became a teenager. Mm-hmm. Even though, as far as I know. You have to be 19 to go to comedy clubs. Okay, so yeah, sure. So I was 14. My mom and I started going just to watch shows at Absolute Comedy in Ottawa. And I was drinking. My mom and I would have a martini during the show. So So European. I know. Thank you. (laughs) Um, My mom's very European. So we would go every week, amateur night, have a martini or two. They Mm -hmm. used to have like signature martinis. So we'd, we'd get a chocolate martini. We'd get a lychee martini. A very... 14 year old girl drinks right you know it's like just fun 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 times with mom Mm -hmm. and we went to amateur night every every week for like a year wow and we saw if you're going to amateur nights like people are bombing you know so it doesn't seem that intimidating you're just like you see it and you're like i could bomb that hard easy like if that's the bar (laughs) no problem so i started doing it and because i had been going there for so long i had gotten to know the staff and some of the comedians because you're there every week Mm mm-hmm so everyone kind of knew me under the pretense that I was of drinking age because I, you know, me and my martinis, I always had a martini. So everyone mm-hmm. obviously thought I was 19. And then I did my first set and everyone that I had met kind of thought I was 19. So I just kind of rolled with it. Sure. And then I had my birthday. I turned 15 slash 20. So then I was 20. <laughs> and you were living these two lives. I was. I really was. I was in high school. It was really weird. And I was doing all these shows and I was told everyone that I was older and I was trying to 
be older on stage too so like i wasn't having sex or anything but i had a lot of sex jokes interesting because i thought that that's what adults talked about right but i had no knowledge so the comedy was very bad it was not (laughs) truthful i was not speaking truth i was like you guys know penises me too yeah (laughs) it's like it's not it's not groundbreaking comedy right and then everyone found out about my age obviously at some point and were very upset with me which is fair yeah I'm curious. So was it an interest of yours or was it something that your mom liked and maybe wanted to expose you to that and have it as a mom daughter thing? Like, yeah. how did you end up at the club in the first place? So she had one tickets at work. Okay. Absolute comedy. And we went. But she says that she knew the whole time that she was trying to get me into comedy. But, you know, that's a retroactive. She loves like... to she loves to take credit for knowing stuff. But sure. she's not always she's not. I mean, she very well could have, but yeah. Well, well, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that that's yeah. That's I think what it that was. she. I think she found it for me. And then, so you're going every week to amateur night. You're watching people be funny, but then also a lot of people eat shit at the same time. Yeah. What was it about that that you were like, I need to get up on stage and I need to tell my jokes about sex that I haven't had. Yeah, well, I'm very extroverted. So before I did that, I was on the improv team in high school. Okay. I, I did some acting. Yeah. Um I just I I'm I'm a performer. I like to I like to be on the stage. I like to be doing stuff. Sure. And comedy I think is the best way to do that because you get to decide what you say. So at this point when I now have things to say and I feel that I'm able to say them in a in a stand-up way. Now it's the ideal way for me to get my my points and my opinions across. At that time it was just like I felt like, oh, I don't have to memorize lines like for acting, so it's just easier. <laughs> but I, I do I really enjoy performing and the easier I get like cuz I've been doing it almost 10 years now, so mm-hmm. it's it's easier now and I'm like I I always say to people that I think anyone can do stand-up. I think everybody recognizes what they think is funny mm-hmm. in their lives and in general. I think the only hard part is learning how to say it in a stand-up way, like learning how to present it to an audience where like the funny parts at the very end of the sentence, like there's so many little things that that's what learning how to do comedy is. Right. And it, that takes time. But um, um, yeah, that's that's my whole point. <laughs> well, I, I find it fascinating because I had John Cullen in here and, and he's a substitute teacher and we were talking about being a teenager and how you have all these insecurities kind of raging through your mind at that time. And I, I just think that as a teenager, the idea of being on stage and trying to entertain a bunch of grown-up adults would would bring that out but clearly like it had the opposite thing where you wanted to actually go on stage and yeah and express yourself I think that part of that is probably being an only child because when you don't have siblings you have to spend a lot of time with adults yeah me so, too center of the universe yeah exactly. hell yeah <laughs> yeah I think that that's probably a big part of it I didn't really think about that but I definitely always was just around adults mm-hmm. and like my parents are divorced too. So you just go from one group of adult friends to another group of adult friends. Right. And you feel like one of them at any age because, you know. And you're drinking martinis. Yeah. Yeah. Like why would I not feel very sex in the city? Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Just what? because I'm not in having sex. Or... <laughs> so so you, you touched on this a little bit. What was your subject matter when you were on stage? Like, you were saying you're making these sex jokes mm-hmm. without any experience. What else were you joking about? Like, clearly, were you making jokes about being in high school or? No, no, because I was trying to trying to seem older. I'm t- I wonder what else I talked about. I did, did a lot of sex jokes. Um, 
I did some just kind of classic one-linery jokes. I had a joke about like, like I started comedy to to change the. This is a while ago. So sure. I, I changed. I started comedy to change the stereotype about blondes. You know, there's all these stereotypes about blondes, and I'm going to change them as soon as I figure out what stereotype means. Like <laughs> okay. That one, yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Like yeah, just yeah. stupid, like one-linery. I did that for. But that's a pretty good joke for a teenager. I guess so. Like it's it's certainly not saying anything. Right. Like I think that that's a, another part of it. It's like like the first couple years of doing stand up it's just trying to figure out how to get people to laugh and then you can figure out how to say something while you're getting people to laugh. Right. So definitely the first couple of years I said nothing of value, but I was learning how to say stuff in a stand up way, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's certainly the order that I had to take things. Do you remember your first experience doing stand-up on stage yeah yeah very clearly it was absolute comedy in ottawa and there's a whole thing like absolute is is truly one of the best like hottest clubs in north america like really okay yeah so a lot of a lot of stuff that happens in comedy is you have to send a tape in you have to send like a youtube clip of yourself so they can see your jokes your vibe whatever Mm -hmm. a lot of clubs will not accept submissions from absolute because of how hot their crowds always are like they, if really? you send a tape from Absolute, they're they'll probably not watch it because everybody kills. Okay, gotcha. Every, like it's impossible not to kill there. Right. My theory is that they um, over poured the drinks, but it's not confirmed. <laughs> it's unconfirmed. It's just a theory. So, I I did my first set, and it was at Absolute as a sold out show. So I did really well, and I was like, "Whoa, I'm Dave Chappelle," you know, like. <laughs> like you what know. what night of the week was it? Uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. And it was like a five minute set? Five minute set. Uh, my mom and I had practiced my set all summer. We were very excited. Nice. My mom came, she taped it. And is it floating around on the internet somewhere? Um, I did post it on Facebook when I first did it, but it's on private now. So oh, okay. I'm gonna have well. to hack me to find it. <laughs> <laughs> so you found your calling. You were Dave Chappelle. I was Dave Chappelle and then I did it any other show and then I was like, Oh, I should get a job. <laughs> <laughs> But in absolute, like if you get up at absolute once a month, like your ego is big enough that you can withstand all those other shows. Really? Yeah, it's just you feel really like a rock star there. It was kind of kind of like that at the comedy mix too. Rest in peace. So is it just is it just a big club or it's just a rowdy crowd? It's not huge. It's just perfectly run. It's a perfectly run, and I'm not in. I'm signed with Yucky Arts. I'm not even with Absolute. Mm-hmm. But. Um, and it's just the one in Ottawa. I don't even know. There's a couple other locations now. Sure. But the one in Ottawa, it's in Little Italy. It's like it's a pretty young crowd. Everyone's got money. They go in. People are getting drinks. The ceilings are low. Um, the service is really good. There's they play good music. They don't play weird rock from the 80s. <laughs> Shots fired. If you <laughs> know what club I'm talking about. But but yeah, it's just it's just really well run. They've got a really good clientele. Cool. And I don't. I think that part of it is that there is not a lot of things to do in Ottawa. So hmm. the comedy scene is able to really grow and flourish because it's one of the few talent pools in Ottawa yeah. that are doing stuff every night and working on new stuff. And it's it's Ottawa too. So almost everyone has a government job. So people are are pretty in tune with politics. And, sure. Yeah. And yeah. most comedy definitely nowadays is relatively political. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just kind of a perfect storm. And is that where you grew up in Ottawa? Yeah, yeah. I try not to tell people. I tell people I'm from Vancouver, but I am from Ottawa. When did you move to Vancouver? On my 18th birthday. <laughs> On your 18th birthday. Yeah, I I moved here for fashion school. Okay. 
um, dropped out in a hot second. Yeah. Dropped out very quickly. Were you still able to perform at clubs here, being 18? No, I had to wait till I turned 19 to do the comedy mix. Okay. Because I had dropped the charade. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you could have kept it going. I know. I should have kept it going, but yeah, I had been... I got in so much trouble in Ottawa. I was like, I'm just going to be clear about my age from now on. <laughs> sure. Fair enough. Now, I hope I have the details right here, but there was an early set of yours that you did at the Kingston, in the basement of the Kingston, uh-huh. where you killed so hard that the MC, who I believe was Johnny Scoop, <gasps> asked you to come back and do more time. On stage? Yeah. I don't remember. I definitely don't remember. remember that. I definitely remember doing shows at the Kingston, but that would have been six years ago or something. Yeah, I remember the Kingston was a was a great show, and Johnny Scoop was super nice. It's very possible that that happened, um, considering how often I kill. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember that. Well, apparently, if I recall, allegedly, you were asked to come back on stage, and your response was amazing. It was something along the lines of. But I did all my jokes. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, that's also very likely. Like, I was just talking. <laughs> have you had Erica Sigurdsson on your show? I have not, no. So her and I were talking last night at a show about how she had to do this corporate. and She, do, she had to do an hour. And she did an hour and she crushed so hard. And people mm-hmm. at the end, when she went off stage, were standing and cheering and waiting for an encore. And she was in the back. And then the showrunner came up to her and was like, are you going to go back out? And she's like... <laughs> I don't have one more joke. Like, I have nothing else. Yeah. I've given them everything. <laughs> <laughs> Left it all out on the stage. Yeah. So I just love that sentiment because usually when, when you say something like, oh, that's all I got, it's this shrug of almost disappointment of like, I guess that's it. Yeah. But it's pretty spectacular when you're just like, that's all I got. Like, yeah. And you, you, I you threw have, it all on the table. Yeah. And you have them wanting for more that you just cannot offer at that moment. Yeah, that's always better because then when you have a new thing, you know that you show it to people and you have an audience for it. Yeah. So no- normally, so I feel like you've been killing from the jump. And I actually asked around a couple of comics. I asked them about you. Really? And they all kind of came to that consensus of like, oh, yeah, no, she's been killing it from the start. She's started super young. It sounds like this is a natural proclivity of yours. Maybe this goes to the, maybe this lends credence to your mom's belief or theory that like you were meant to do this. So she brought you to the club. Do you feel like, it, is it something that feels natural? And that's not to take away any of the effort and hard work that you put in, but is there a natural calling here? So now I feel like, yes, after doing it and working hard, but I was, I was definitely very bad for five to six years. That's like, a long time. But that's to, the thing. I was <laughs> to be bad at something. It's a really long time to be bad at something. But it was at that time, it was at that sweet pocket where I was always the youngest. So mm. if you don't bomb and you're the and you're a teenager doing something, then it's like people are still surprised because their expectations are lower than that. Right. I was definitely very bad. And there's a lot of comedians that have been doing comedy like, I don't know, one to three years. And they're super good. And they'll say to me, oh, I wish I started when I was younger. And it's like, no, you're so much. But like, I had to start that young because I was so bad for so long. (laughs) I ate so much shit so many times. And I think it was like, I mean, even longer than that. Like, I I remember I got homegrown just for laughs homegrown, which is like the Canadian new faces Mm -hmm. just for laughs. And I went out and I, we had a tape. Oh, yeah. That was the, the Kevin Hart LOL taping. Okay. This was 
three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess I was bad for seven years. So I had this LOL taping and then it just came out on YouTube this year. Right. Yeah. And it seemed very recent. Yeah. 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 So it's from three years ago. Okay. You can tell by how skinny I am. In it. And I read, I, you're not supposed to read the YouTube comments, but I read mm. the YouTube comments and they just ripped me to shreds. And I agreed with them. Like I watched that setback and I was like, I was not ready to do a taping at that point even. Sure. But I think that seeing yourself on, not on TV because I watched it online, but I think seeing yourself next to actually talented comedians that have been doing tapings for 10 years and have been touring the country, like seeing that really made it clear to me what I needed to improve on. Mm-hmm. So it did help me. And I think anything, like I think getting anything too early and then, being critical of it is helpful. Sure, yeah. Uh, But I was definitely confirmed bad three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But there's also a lot of learning in three years. Definitely. Considering you've been doing this. So it it just would not be even fair to compare the comic you are today to three years ago. Yeah. Like I listened to the first episode or some of the first episodes of this podcast because... Someone will usually on a dating app. Someone will be like, "Oh, I listened to that episode or whatever," like, no. and I'm like, "That sounds so terrible." I mean, and it's not necessarily bad. It's just, just to you, you feel so improved. Yeah, and yeah. it hasn't even been. It's been a year, right? Well, so even my album. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, please. So even on my album, I recorded that a year ago, hmm. and it's hard for me to listen to now because I have so many new tags. I have a lot more confidence, I think, than last. Like, there's so many things that I feel that I've improved on. That like I listen to my album that I just put out and I feel cringy about it. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I thought that that was ready. Really? Yeah. It's a great album though. Oh yeah, check it out. Buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious. You 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 sort of talked about the other comics being very supportive. Yeah. You as a teenager or a very young adult. What was their reaction generally? Like it sounds like it's all positive. Um, so in Vancouver, it was very positive. Like Johnny, mm-hmm. the Vancouver scene was, I moved here when I was 18. So I was still a young person. Yeah. And yeah, Vancouver could not have been more, more supportive and more helpful. I had a very bad time in Ottawa. Um, it was mostly after everyone found out how old I was and everyone was mad at me. Right. But like, I couldn't get a guest spot. I couldn't get an unpaid guest spot on a weekend in Ottawa ever. Wow. And why were they so mad about you lying about the age was it the legal aspect of it i mean no like they all did drugs and stuff. like it couldn't be the legal sure. like, <laughs> like i i'm I, just thinking a promoter being in trouble because they have an underage person at a bar or whatever yeah like, yeah totally i mean i i personally think that it's because some of them had asked me out or been interested in me and felt embarrassed oh shit yeah but, but it's probably i mean they felt deceived like when anyone lies to you i totally understand being upset by that but i think the level of being ostracized that I was especially like if you found out someone was 15 or 16 after saying that they were older I feel like that's not a huge stab in the back like I didn't do anything with anybody I was just around and it had a purpose because you had to be that age to yeah to be doing comedy so so it was I think uh overreaction on their part how how much they suddenly were not supporting me anymore like they were a lot more supportive when they thought maybe we would hook up at some point. Yeah, that's weird, hey? Like, I, I, can, I can see how if someone thought you were a, an adult and they hit on you, then they'd be super weird about it afterwards. Yes. I and, can see that. 
And I remember listening to a podcast mm-hmm. of two of them talk when it all came out and they were talking about me and it was like like I it was it was very upsetting. Yeah. Bizarre. <laughs> well, well, let's let's keep it on the positive here. Who who here in Vancouver really supported you, helped yeah. you in the in the comedy community? So uh, this guy Will Davis, who is no longer associated at all with the festival, it's uh, formerly the Northwest Comedy Fest. Mm-hmm. So I had just gotten my first guest spot when I first moved to Vancouver at Laugh Lines. Okay. Um, in the West? Yeah, which yeah. I don't want to say that they have supported me because I also have a beef with them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had You should have first... sent me your shit list before we started this interview. We can get into all of it. I <laughs> yeah, have no please. filter. <laughs> so I was doing a guest spot there and it was my first guest spot and that was a big deal for me. And they ha- had just started booking the uh, Northwest Comedy Fest. Like they were picking local openers for the bigger acts coming okay. to town. And the guy organizing it happened to be there scouting locations for stuff Mm. and heard my set and heard me doing well and contacted me and asked me to be in the festival. So that was like as soon as I moved here. Wow. Yeah. So that was it was like incredible time. I felt that I I felt so supported immediately. And then also everyone in Vancouver just saw that I moved there right away. So and and I was young. So I think they probably assumed I had just started comedy as well. Mm-hmm. And then I got to be in this big festival. I opened for Bob Saget. That was my big credit. Did you actually? Yeah, that was my big credit for so long. Like everyone has like a first credit that's kind of not embarrassing, but like now I it's not in my bio, you know that I opened it should for Bob. No, it should not be. <laughs> and like it was my only credit for so I every show I got introduced I recently opened for Bob Saget and people yeah. were like, What? <laughs> and like I did the show. My mom flew out to Vancouver to watch it. Of course. It, it was at the, I think it was at the Queenie. It was in front of like three thousand Queenie. Yeah, it was in front of thousands of people. Wow. And I go up, I start I, keep in mind I'm still bad at this point at comedy, so it's I should not have had this gig. So I go out in front of this huge crowd. I have a cordless mic. My mic goes out in the middle of my oh, set no. for like a full like 30 seconds, which doesn't sound like that long. But when you're on stage and everyone's looking at you yeah, an and eternity. you can't talk. So I started yelling. I was like, can you hear me? Everyone was like, <laughs> in no. Queenie, yeah. They can't hear you. <laughs> no, I brought my little dress on. I'm just trying to, I'm like, hello? Like, I'm like a toddler. I have no way of handling anything. So somebody runs out and gives me a new mic. And I'm like awkward you know and I just keep going like it, it could have been a lot funnier sure but it was not but yeah my mom had flew out and she got to experience that but what a cool experience even the all the technical difficulties like yeah. whatever yeah so how was Bob Saget is he cool he's okay I remember we like went backstage and he was on his phone didn't look up from his phone and he's like John Stamos will not stop texting me and I'm like I don't know who either of you are so I don't know what to say <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't be of that full house generation. You yeah, don't no, care. I didn't watch it. And I feel like he felt like I was very starstruck by him, but I was just starstruck by getting a gig. <laughs> right. It's funny that they're, I wonder if, if that's true, then they're still friends and they still text each other all the time. Yeah, I think, I mean, this was six years ago. He's lying. They're not <laughs> texting each other. Come on. But now there's, but now I feel like there's probably a lot more younger comics, especially with the internet. Definitely. And the exposure of comedy. And comedy is like a very popular thing now. Yes. There's been a real comedy boom, which I think is mostly accredited to Netflix and Mm -hmm. partly YouTube, but mostly Netflix. Like there was a big comedy boom in the 80s when cable TV started. Right. And they realized how cheap it was to just have a comedian on TV doing something. You just mm-hmm. have to pay that comedian. They do all the work and then people can enjoy it. Like it's so cheap. You just tape one camera, you know, like super cheap to make. Yeah. Huge comedy boom. And then 
there's comedy clubs popping up everywhere because people are seeing comedy on TV. And I think the exact same thing has happened with Netflix. Netflix is producing so much stuff. and So much stuff. They realized how cheap comedy is and how there's fan bases built in and they just have to f- book a theater and point a camera at a comedian and then that's good content. Like I personally, I obviously love stand-up comedy, but mm-hmm. I'll watch any Netflix special that comes out of a comedian. Like even if they don't speak English, like I watch all of them. If it's not in English, so you'll be reading the the subtitles. Yeah, yeah, and I Interesting. think I think more comedians should do that too because there's a lot of good Spanish and French comedy on Netflix. Yeah, that be- people aren't watching um, for obvious reasons, you know, but because you don't speak the language. But yeah, I think it's worth it. Like you should get your comedy album translated. I know. I kind of I speak. I used to be really bilingual in French, and I haven't mm-hmm. really used it at all in Vancouver. But I want to do a French album. You should. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, and then if it's a if it's a special, then just English subtitles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of I used to speak some Spanish too. My mom and I lived in Spain for a while. Okay. And so yeah, I would love to do a, a Spanish album too. Wouldn't that be <laughs> crazy of me? I mean, even if I just did like ten minutes in Spanish or ten yeah. minutes in French on a regular album, I think that that would be cool. Yeah, you got a bit of a Shakira look to you too. Oh my god, do you know my joke about how I want to be Shakira? <laughs> I think that's where that's coming from. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to get I'm it into people's to. minds that I'm Shakira. <laughs> it's working, clearly. Yeah, I know. When we look at the local scene here in Vancouver, you talked about some people that helped you. Who are your favorite comics, though? Um, Graham Clark. Okay, yeah. Graham Clark uh, helped me a lot and is one of my favorite comics. Same for Erica Sigurdsson. Helped me so, so much and one of my favorite comics. And she comics. was the person that, that drove you to your gig last night, right? She's a true hero. I mean, she was also on the gig, but okay. Okay. <laughs> she had to go anyway, but fair she enough. didn't have to swing by and pick me up on the way. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but those two, I definitely consider mentors. Like, Cool. And I haven't asked their permission to say that about them, but... You're throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there. And they've both helped me so much in comedy they've given me the best advice mm-hmm. they've the, i mean one of my theories about why vancouver has such a good scene is because we are a small we're smaller than toronto we have a smaller mm-hmm. scene than toronto but our top level people are just as funny as the top level people anywhere the top level people in new york like our sure. our high high level comedians are are world class in vancouver and i mean that completely sincerely and because our scene is smaller there are less shows. So those higher level people have to do the shows that everyone is on. Mm. So that lets everybody on the lower levels see those people and they see how they develop material. They see how often they get out there. They see, they they just, they learn how good comedians do it and right. it brings everybody's level up and you have to go after them on a show. So you have to rate like everything right. about being on a show. It's like skiing with people better than you. It just raises your level so much faster than if you're trying to figure stuff out without them around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a good way to put it, I guess. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I know I'm very foreign to the scene, but the comedians that I've talked to make it sound like a very close-knit community and they've all even you know Ivan Decker when he was talking about starting up he was saying that just being around comedians you'd be soaking in tidbits of work ethic or how jokes are crafted and even if you're not performing that night but you're you're around all this talent and when it comes to talent or world-class talent even I can say I've never been to uh, a weekend show at the comedy mix RIP (laughs) or yuck yucks where it sucked like it's always been a great time Mm -hmm. and I'm still even as a casual or maybe even slightly more than casual fan I'm still surprised by 
going to a show and there's someone from Vancouver who I've never heard of, but they destroy it in yeah. a way where I'm like, why haven't I heard of this person? Yeah, totally. And every time I, because I've had to spend a lot of time in Halifax the past little while for 22 minutes because you live there when you work on the show. Mm-hmm. Every time I come back, there's a new comic that's incredible Yeah, in town. And I don't know if it's like that in other scenes. Like, I don't know if every time you go away for a couple months and come back, there's like a new star. Right. Do, do you have a theory of why... Vancouver might be a little different than some of, some of these other scenes. You've sort of touched on size being a factor and then the number of spots available. I think it's also the crowds because Vancouver has a reputation of having very sensitive, very PC crowds. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's true. Like I just did all, all these shows in Toronto, Ottawa, Halifax. Like crowds are the same everywhere at this point in the world, except for maybe in, in small towns that are slightly different than big cities. Sure. But I don't think the the reputation is is accurate. I think that our crowds are comedy crowds. Mm -hmm. So comics from out of town, comics from the States, comics from Toronto will come here and not do well and be like, oh, the crowds here are so sensitive. But it's just that that they they listen like that. They're they're more up to date on stuff. They they're familiar with comedy. They know the Hmm. tropes. They know the hacky stuff. I think that we have a huge comedy population in Vancouver and I think it's connected to a lot of things I think one thing is like we're the online dating capital of the world is that true yeah I know I know plenty of fish started here but why how do you qualify Vancouver as the online dating capital I read it on a thing like I I didn't invent (laughs) it it's a real thing and I think that that's somehow related to it I think one thing is it's really good to go on a first date to a comedy show. Mm. I think people are really wanting to connect with other people. And even if you're going to a comedy show alone, you're connecting with whoever's on stage. Right. I think it's I think it's people in Vancouver are have less money because the uh, cost of living is very high. Sure. Like apartments very like everything's very expensive. A comedy show is $5. They usually have a drink special. Mm-hmm. You go there, you connect with somebody on stage, you laugh. And I mean, another thing is our weather. Like we we don't really have snow, so it's easier to get people out all year round. Sure, it's, yeah. It's a bit harder in the summer because people want to do outdoorsy stuff like when it's not raining. Yeah. But I think that I think we're a perfect comedy city. The size, uh, SkyTrain, it's really easy to get around if you want to go to a show further away. Hmm. Like I think, I think we're literally a city that's the perfect atmosphere for com- people. Are educated, people understand nuance, people keep up with the news. Like, mm-hmm. like the crowds in Vancouver, I think, are the credit to to how how good people, how good comedians are, and um, how quickly they're able to improve. Because, it, like, not if you have a dumb crowd, you know, but if you have a dumb crowd. You're going to do dumb jokes, and that's what's going to work. If you have a smart crowd and you want to do well, you have to have smart jokes. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting analysis. I'm I'm very because I've asked that question a few times, but I think that's a, a great way to look at Vancouver and what makes us slightly different than than everyone else. I also love Vancouver, if that's not obvious. <laughs> do you have any Vancouver tropes that you fully embrace? Um, I mean, I love that everyone wears the same clothing. Like, I love that everybody's in Lululemon and Arteryx. And, like, yeah. I go to other cities and I'm like, mm, everyone's not matching. It's kind of <laughs> kind of weird here. <laughs> like it's, it's our uniform here. I know. I kind of love it. Um, I also, in, in Vancouver, um, I like that people are, like, 
not necessarily hippie, but just kind of aggressively liberal. Right. Which is a Vancouver trope, but I, I like, I'm, I'm liberal. Like, here's the thing. So in comedy, you can't, especially in Vancouver, you can't really be punching down. You can't really be mm-hmm. conservative on a lot of things. But I don't try to be as woke as I can be. Like, I am a woke person. I am liberal. I am, you know, yeah. I have all those beliefs. But I think that it's it's bad for comedy when you're tiptoeing around stuff and language. Like, I definitely don't do anything to try to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. But if I have an opinion that conflicts with a woke mentality, then I'll explore it. Because I think that everybody, even hyper-woke people, and you know what I mean by woke. Like Absolutely, this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like people who posture about how progressive they are. Yes, exactly. I think even those people have doubts about certain things and they're scared to talk about it. I think that it's based on fear not right. going outside of that. And I think the only way for us to communicate with the other side is to be completely honest and to explore our doubts because mm-hmm. nobody's 100% right. We're not 100% right. And conservatives are not 100% right. Sure. And I think the only way to bridge that gap a little is to acknowledge that and to explore the things that conflict with your 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 opinions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I also think, I mean, when you're talking about someone who's punching down, I also don't see someone who is extremely racist or homophobic or whatever being funny. <laughs> you know what I no, mean? Me like, <laughs> and it's not because those jokes aren't or whatever aren't funny. It's just because someone who like really feels that way is just probably not a lighthearted individual. Yeah, they have a lot of hate and fear in their heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't see that working that way. But I do like the idea. I mean, the whole idea of progressivism and being liberal is part of that is free speech. Mm-hmm. And certainly if you are in a creative or comedic realm it's the exploration of that and sometimes it won't hit and sometimes you know maybe it'll be super funny but also kind of naughty and offensive right well yeah and i think that there are are little pockets within everything that prove a bigger point like Mm -hmm. ivan decker has a great joke ivan's not political on stage at all sure he has one joke though about um he's like i know what my face looks like uh, I look like I'm going to be warned about how spicy food is a lo- at every <laughs> right. restaurant I go to. And like I'm butchering it. But then he yeah. goes on like he has a whole thing about how he's just treated badly at restaurants and how like right. um, how he always is treated like it's his fault if they get his order wrong and how like they bring him the takeout thing and he has to do it himself now. Right. Which is like like I feel like making jokes about people in the customer service industry is kind of punching down because like they're working hard they're on their feet all day they're not Mm -hmm. making really a livable wage like there's all this stuff but it's like so funny and we've all been treated badly by a server and we've all been like annoyed by so i think that that's the kind of thing that comedy needs and Mm -hmm. like vancouver comedy needs is like finding those little things that kind of conflict with our political mentality Mm -hmm. And and not being scared to explore it if it's true. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to one of those Vancouver tropes you mentioned. You talked about Vancouver being the online dating capital of the world. Yeah. Which is news to me. I thought every metropolis would be like flourishing with online dating, but I will take your word for it. Yeah. I saw that you did a, a sketch with Aaron Reed, who I'm familiar with through the web series Girls vs. the City. And it was like a first date 
blind date show type yeah. scenario. He's also from uh, Sunday Service and my my tote bag today. Oh, there you Sunday go. Service. He <laughs> he drew the logo for. Him. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. nice. So you guys did a little sketch about a very awkward first date that's being filmed. Yeah. I'm curious. Would you ever do a show like that for reals if you were single? And if you were inundated in the online dating world and you're like, I'm done with that, I'm going to try something new. Um, if you think I'm not being inundated just because I am not in the online dating world, <laughs> you should have a look at my Instagram DMs because I got a message today. Okay, so just slightly off track for one Sure, second. yeah, yeah. I keep getting messages from sugar daddies and I think mm. I have to stop writing jokes about how poor I am because it's attracting this energy <laughs> that I do not appreciate. And my cousin, who I'm very close with, I was showing her today when I was over at UBC, and the, this guy was like, I'll pay you $200 a day for pics. And then I was like, look how creepy this guy is. And she was like, oh, I really need $200 a day. Can you um, connect me in this guy? <laughs> so I was like, of course. So I messaged him and I'm like, hey, I'm not really into this, but feel free to um, give my cousin $200 a day. Wow. And then there was this other guy a couple weeks ago that I had so much fun trolling. He sent me a message on Instagram and was like, I'll pay you $700 for 10 pics or something like that. And then I was like, we talking U.S. dollars? Like, I'm not going to do it, you know? But, like, I want to talk to this guy. So we talked for, like, so many messages back and forth, negotiating fees. Wow. And um, at one point, he's like, I don't, I don't like playing games. Like, contact me if you're interested. And then I was like, you don't like any games? And he was like, what? Like, no, you neither should you. And I was like, have you ever played crib? <laughs> and he was like, no, I don't know what that is. Are you going to send me these pictures? And I was like, crib is a card game. I, have you never played crib? Like, crib is so much fun. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's my experience with online dating, pretty much. Wow. <laughs> dudes being like that. Um, can you just remind me in the question really quickly? Uh, I mean, we've gone off track. I'm I'm curious about all these dudes hitting you up and these offers. How low how low did the the seven hundred dollar guy go? Like, if you was you said you were negotiating. So I I put it in my highlights on my Instagram story. Feel free to watch. Okay. All of it. I was posting it in real time, so I wasn't really oh, sure okay. how gotcha. it would conclude. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It turned out pretty good. Um. What what was the question about the, online dating though? No, the original question is: Would you ever film a, a first date? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Because yeah. you're extroverted, you're sure, yeah. Bit of I a would performer, do that. like a well, bit of a performer, uh, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I have a huge wig on right now. I'm right. dramatic, you know. <laughs> but the, so the Aaron Reed one happened from Talent Time. Do you know Paul Anthony Talent Time? No. So he does a monthly variety show at the at the um, what's that place at uh, Broadway and Commercial. Uh, oh my god it's like a movie theater the rio the rio yeah. yeah so every month he does talent time at the rio it's a reality thing okay. or um, a variety thing and they did a first dates thing mm -hmm. or what's it called i think it's called first date mystery date maybe yeah first dates uh there's also the original show blind date blind date yes yeah. so i was like picking and i was behind a curtain and they got a guy from the audience and somebody else and aaron reed it was kind of as a plant came in right. to yeah, do yeah. funny answers and then um, we we did the whole sketch, and then it ended up with Aaron, and then they were like, okay, well, let's expand on this, and then we filmed that date. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was pretty funny. I I like I do like dating shows. I don't know if I would I would I would definitely host a dating show because I'm I'm oh. I'm very into reality TV. Love The Bachelor, love The Bachelor. I love Bachelor in Paradise. Right. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. No. 
but I, I could not. definitely go off for the rest of the hour about <laughs> this current season. Let's not talk about The Bachelor since I have no idea what that show is. So about. on this, I've done a lot of interviews the past little while for for this album, and I think I've talked about The Bachelor on every single interview. Really? Yeah, I did a Sirius XM one, and I just like started talking about it, and then I, I they kept not interrupting me, so then I just kept going, and I didn't realize the interview was half an hour, so yeah. I just kept going and like looking at them to be like. Okay, let's wrap it up there. So everyone now thinks that you are going to be on the next season of The Bachelor. Somebody you're... somebody tweeted at me and was like, they're doing auditions for The In Bachelor. In Bellevue, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they just... Uh... Was that you? Did you message me that? No, it wasn't me, but Megan Edwards, who is the, the guest before you, she had, had texted me that she's like, oh, I'm going to... To Washington State to, to try out on The Bachelor. I was like, good luck. This should be That's fun. That's so funny. Yeah, I yeah. know. I'm in a happy relationship, but I have definitely told my boyfriend I feel very comfortable him trying to get on The Bachelorette. He should try. I totally think he should try. He would be the star. <laughs> he would make it to the end. I've I've done that show, uh, First Dates Canada. Oh, I have a lot of friends that were on First Dates. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a few comedians on there. Yeah. Um, thankfully, my segment was cut. I was oh, very... Very blessed. Yeah, very happy. Because it is just a TV show. Like, mm-hmm. I went in all hopeless romantic, like, oh, what a cool story. Gonna find love. Yeah, yeah. totally. And uh, I was very sincere and honest about what I was looking for. I gave them, like, five criteria. They gave me what some... What was your five criteria? There was, like, an age range. There was... She had to be a reader. She had to enjoy fitness of some type. Didn't have to be, like, fit or whatever, but, like, to work out, because I work out, you know... Five times a week, so yeah, it's part of your lifestyle. Exactly, yeah. I have to drive a car because I live in. Oh, that's gonna narrow it down. I a know. lot in Vancouver. I know because I live in North Van, so I need. I can't be driving over the bridge all the time. Why, why not just somebody that lives in North Van? <laughs> I can't live it myself. <laughs> it's a trade-off. It's one or the other. Okay. Also, the transit within North Van isn't that great either. What about has a bus pass? <laughs> We, we'd have to see, okay? We'd have to see if she meets the other criteria. And then I think the last one was either something about, like, has to have a university degree or something like that. I something unreasonable. Something completely picky. <laughs> but they gave me someone who was literally the opposite and even didn't, e- didn't even meet the age range. Like, she was older. I said four years plus or minus. To and your age or to, my to age. your... Okay, okay. So that's... That's nine years. That's a range of nine years. Yeah, that's right? a pretty good range. And they gave me someone who was also good for you six for or not... seven years older than me. But good for you for not requesting a teen because that's very popular <laughs> these days with men. <laughs> Super young, doesn't know anything about the world. Can't can... read. Yeah, can be easily manipulated. <laughs> no bus pass. You know, bus pass relies on me. <laughs> yeah, completely dependent on me. And morbidly obese, can't work out. <laughs> can't work out. She is stuck at home. Better have diabetes, or I'm not into it. <laughs> Yeah, the more dependent, the better. That's yeah. exactly what I'm looking for. But so so I went in, you know, oh, this is going to be great. No, they what they had done was they had set me up on a purposeful disaster date. Mm. But they had, I think they had somehow misread me. They thought that I would be mean or make jokes about it. And I, I would never be that person in real life, let alone knowing that I'm being filmed. Yeah, jokes on them. You'll fuck this lady just because she's out of your <laughs> Just because it's not going to work out romantically, like you're a team player. I, I, so I didn't, I didn't go. I was just having a good time, and uh, they wanted some drama, so they kept pulling me aside. And I was, and just, they're like, fight with this old dumb lady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they, basically, the subtext was that because they would say things like, "Doesn't seem like you guys have much in common." 
And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, we're still just getting to know each other. And you're like, that's your fault. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was awkward. So I would recommend it for anyone who's just trying out for the experience, but certainly do not put bank do, in. Do they still make that show? I don't think so. Mm, shocker. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but the, I had the best scenario because I got to do the whole production part, but it just didn't make Air. Yeah, there's a couple of Vancouver comedians that did make it on that we all had a good laugh about. Yeah. Yeah, one one guy, Alex Sparling, I think got like black. Oh yeah, Alex, yeah, yeah. He got like blackout drunk, I'm pretty sure. And then did... I don't remember his episode, but I remember him being on it, yeah. I thought he got drunk and then he had some weird interaction with the girl. I don't remember, but great show, check it out. With <laughs> <laughs> the box set. So, I'm thrilled obviously that I didn't see myself on TV, but you do see yourself on TV every mm-hmm. now and then. Mm-hmm. And I just saw that JFL All Access is in the in-flight entertainment system on Air Canada. Hell yeah. And you recently, you were on a flight and you caught someone in front of you watching your set. So that, How surreal is that? That video was sent to me. Somebody else caught okay. somebody watching the set. Um, if I was on a plane and I saw somebody watching my set in front of me, you better believe I'd interact with them. I'd be like, excuse me, are you enjoying yourself? You know, worked very hard on that. You like my outfit. Like, I don't have a lot to say to them. I did not personally see it. I was just on Air Canada, though, and I checked, and I'm still on it. You're still I, on I it? I didn't watch it, obviously, but... This is old now, but are there many JFL selections, or is it like you're just the? You're I think there's the a everyone. couple. There's a couple episodes, and then there's a couple comics on each episode. Okay, but still pretty huge for me. Make it's it, huge. Made it's it, a... it made it above ground. Yeah, my comedy is worldwide, but upwards, not uh, distance. So aside from the scenario where you're on the plane, but isn't that weird when someone sends you a video yeah, of someone on... else watching you? Totally. Being on TV at all is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, like you definitely, because I record all my sets on my phone when I'm when I'm doing a set. I just record it so that I can listen back if I did something differently, if something went well, or you, you know, whatever. Right. Um, so I'm very accustomed to the sound of my own voice at this point. It used to be very cringy for me. And now I can absolutely listen to myself talk and not be upset by it. And also sometimes I'll get a little bit high and then I'll listen to it because... <laughs> You get very removed, and you can be more of a third party. Like for if you want to, oh, ex- if you want to expand on a joke or something, and you get a little bit high, and then you listen to your set, it feels like you're listening to someone else's set, and then it's easier to be objective and see what parts you can branch out on, what mm. parts are sh- should be changed. Um, but I'm still not super used to seeing myself on camera. So every time I see a tape of myself, I'm like, what do I do that with my face? I recently realized that your face should match what you're saying, and. I, they, they, people say that that's like an autistic thing. I don't think I'm autistic, but it didn't occur to me to match my face to what I was saying on stage. What does that mean? I'm just excited to be on stage, right? So I'm smiling the whole time. Yeah. If I say something serious, like I should have a serious face and it just adds to the joke. Sure. Okay. I you get You stay that. in that emotion. Yeah. And not just be like beaming the whole time. Yeah. Recently figured that out. So I'm working on that. Hmm. I feel like I'm the same way. Like my default is just a... Happy. Smile. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. But so if- even if I'm in a serious conversation, I'm probably like beaming, but in a sad way, if it's possible. I yeah, don't know. it is totally. And I was just watching, um, I don't remember what it was. It might have been Vox or something, but they were interviewing um, this former um, body language expert for the FBI or okay. something like that. And there's like little things that you body just does when you're excited like if you're standing and your toe goes up that means you're excited and i realized that i do that every are you sure are you sure they said toe 
<laughs> and boner. <laughs> also, if your boner goes up. If your boner goes up, it means you're having a nice time, I'm told. <laughs> but I realize every single set I've ever done, my foot is just like, pla- my toes are just planted up, just one on one foot. Interesting. And I always thought it was like stretching my calf, because you know how that's how like you hmm. stretch your calf muscle? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. like, I have very tight calves as well. But I think that I'm just so excited on stage the whole time. So I'm also trying to put that down just as like a subconscious thing for the, as for when I'm trying to be serious and I'm doing my serious face. I yeah. put my toes down now. And I think that that's really, it's such a small thing, but I feel like it's a huge improvement. Because when you're saying something and you realize what you're saying and you act like it's the first time you're saying it and you're feeling it naturally, mm-hmm. it's so much better for the crowd because it is. I think of it so comedy is such an audible th- like uh, audio thing because mm-hmm. of albums because of podcasts because when I listen to a jo- like when I'm at a show I don't I, I have bad vision too like I can't really see I'm mostly just listening yeah but most people are very visual so if you can have a visual performance with what you're saying of course that improves it absolutely yeah I guess that's a, a challenge especially based on the venue that you're in because obviously if you're front row and watching someone it is a whole different experience and then their the animation of their face and their body language becomes a lot more palpable versus being in a theater and you're all the way in the back then it is probably more of an audio experience right yeah i i mean as someone with bad vision it's always mostly audio <laughs> sure. for me but at comedy clubs usually people in, in the as far back as the middle or the back middle can still see your face pretty clearly yeah and depending on how high the stage is, like your body. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to start, I'm going to start wearing heels on stage more just because I'm pretty short. And okay. I find sometimes the the front kind of covers a lot of my body, like the front row, if the stage isn't high enough. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I didn't, didn't think about that. I know. Yeah. It doesn't really. But that's why, because tall, tall guys and women, but tall guy comedians often do so well, especially with physical comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because people can see them. Right. Which is a, another little thing, but it's something I just realized. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, I will say this. So I'm, my interest in comedy, I'm a bit of a stand for certain comics. Who Whit- do you like? Oh, Whitney Cummings is my number one. I have full c- celebrity crush on her, but I saw her perform front row once at, like, at a small club. Really? And that was a totally different experience because- when someone's like right in your face, the facial expressions and the t- that just like animates a whole new level yeah. and a whole new div- dimension of the comedy. And I I realized like oh that's that's what makes her a pro as mm-hmm. well because she's got that down versus perhaps someone else that I've seen up front and never like, tuned into that right. Yeah, and that's something that was pointed out to me when I started doing those correspondent things for twenty two minutes mm. is because I did my my first correspondent piece just kind of how I talk in a stand-up way. Right. And the producer told me that I'm not breaking through the camera. And he's like, I know that in your comedy, you're just kind of chill like that, but you have to break through the camera and affect people at home. Like, it doesn't work the same in person as it does on camera. And I think that that's why someone like Whitney Cummings and, like, Maria Bamford is very expressive. Sure, yeah, 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 great When she does a voice, like, her face transforms into a different character as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's that's, that's how you get a wider appeal is if you're able to exaggerate 
stuff to a point mm-hmm. that if you're watching it, because it's when you're watching something on TV, it's way more visual than it is audio. That's true. Like yeah. you're affected very much by what you're watching. Mm-hmm. So I think and then Kevin Hart too, like every meme online is one of Kevin all Hart's those, faces. All those gifts. Yeah. 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 So in comedy, it's if you want to get that wider appeal, you really have to just do funny faces. Like yeah. it's stupid, but I think that's important now. I want to talk about a medium where we don't get to see your funny face. I want to talk about your comedy album. Mm. Little Bit of Buttle, produced by Kevy, who yeah. I feel like produces all the comedy albums in this city. Yeah, he's the Quincy Jones of comedy albums. Yeah. <laughs> he's done um, This Is Van Color alumni's Ivan Decker's, Julie Kim's, Dino Archie's, and now yours. Was yours the very last comedy album to be recorded at the comedy mix? I think so. And then, believe, yeah. and then they just accomplished everything and had to shut shut shit yeah, they're down. Like, shut her down. <laughs> that was perfect. We can do no better than this. Yeah, I know. Kevy's incredible. Uh, Kevy's well. So I I don't know how much you followed the Sirius XM comedy drama that happened. I saw year. it on Twitter. I saw a lot of angry voices, and yeah. I think it's resolved now. I it is. Okay. It is. Yeah. yeah. Totally resolved. Um, but the way that it works is in Canada, if you're a comedian. The only real way to make a living is if you're getting residuals from Sirius XM plays. Hmm. Like, we get paid $100 a show or something at comedy clubs. Like, mm-hmm. and you can't do shows every night. Like, it's, it's not a, you can't pay your rent with that. You can't, you can't take taxis with that amount of money. You know, like, it's not, you don't, maybe Ubers. <laughs> maybe Ubers. Yeah. Not, a, not in surge times. Maybe though. Lyft. Maybe Lyft. <laughs> Lyft. <laughs> but, but the way comedians in Canada make money, the way comedians are able to move to the States and continue get, to get paychecks is, mm-hmm. is Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is to have an album out and an album that audio-wise sounds good. Yeah. And Kevy has done that for so many Vancouver comedians. Like, like we, we don't know how to master something. We don't know how to get a good audio recording. We just mm-hmm. do stuff on our phones. So Kevy... Kevy has helped so many comedians make a living through helping us make albums. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, it and it the the quality in terms of audio is there. I really enjoyed it. I was uh, I had to drive up to Penticton a couple weeks ago, and it was one of it was on my playlist, and I <laughs> very much enjoyed it. Thank you. I'm curious as a first comedy album, is it a collection of your best material over all your years, or is it a certain period in your life where that was your set so it is an accumulation of of kind of all my jokes all my favorite jokes Mm -hmm. from from the first 10 years and I think that that's going to change for my next album like certainly at this point I'm I'm making jokes that I think will go well on an album as opposed to just trying to make people laugh trying to figure out how to say stuff and I think I think I'm I, I wanted to get a recording of that because it's what I'd been working on for so long and it's I wanted to capture what my comedy was like at that time in my life, mm-hmm. like knowing that I was going to kind of grow out of it. And like, for instance, now most of the bits I think of are on a slightly longer scale. So I'm trying to prove a bigger point. I have I have callbacks. They're longer. Like I'm thinking in, in things of more subjects than a than a one liner. OK, yeah. Cool. So I'm expanding more on my ideas. I'm having idea, like I'm having opinions on stuff that I want to get across. Like my my comedy now is is something that I agree with as opposed to something that I think is just funny. Hmm. I'm trying to write comedy that I that makes sense to me. Yeah. 
uh, which is harder. But I think that that's what I'm working towards for my next album. I want to I want to talk about stuff that I believe in, and I want it to be funny first. I don't want to just be an activist. I don't want like sure. Like it's it's the worst when you go up and you have this idea you're passionate about, and then you don't have any jokes in it because you're just you're just giving a speech. You're not right. a comedian. So I definitely am trying to find the humor and stuff that I care about talking about. Yeah. I think you should still preach if you want to, but set that time aside. Be like, okay, last five minutes, I got to talk about something important. Yeah. And then get into that. Yeah. And I just, that like, because of Dave Chappelle's resurgence, there mm-hmm. are a lot of comedians that are kind of full activists right now. Because Yeah, you're starting to see that more. And there, it almost gets, uh, and I was being, I was kidding about taking that fun. do whatever you want I don't take advice oh. from me but um you do start to see comedy where it, it almost is more about eliciting claps than laughter clapter clapter yeah, yeah that's what I was getting at I don't know if I, I'm not I don't know if I know what virtues signaling means mm-hmm. I think it might be like an alt-right term but I think a problem in comedy right now is virtue signaling like I think somebody going up and saying, like women should get paid as much as men, and then people, yeah, people are gonna clap. Mm-hmm. But everyone already agrees with that. Everyone's on the same page, right? And like a, I don't know if you saw Nanette. Did you see Nanette on Netflix? No. So it came out like a year or two ago. It's this. I don't remember what country she was. I think New Zealand. She had this. Um, it was the first I had heard of her, but she had done this huge theater. Like it's in this huge theater, so she's obviously very famous. Mm-hmm. And it was very. Um, it was like a fringe show. It was like fringe. Like alt comedy? Yeah. Like apparently she's a really good stand-up comedian. Okay. But like fringe to me is like stand-up comedy with less jokes and more sexual assault. And that's. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's Well, that's basically what Nanette was. And you should, um, you should be the spokesperson for the fringe fest here. Oh my God. <laughs> Here's the thing. There are good fringe. Like Graham Clark does fringe shows that yeah. I love. I opened for him on one last year, two years ago. Mm-hmm. But he structures his friend shows like a stand-up show. Like there's a laugh, a laugh at a pace that you feel like you've laughed. Mm-hmm. Like it's fringe doesn't seem to have any expectations for laughter. A lot of them are very serious. Like I don't think that that's what stand-up comedy should be. Is my point. I think right. that you can definitely make points, but it's like call it a fringe show. Then don't call it stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. The only person, in my opinion, who strikes a, a good balance is Dave Chappelle. He's able to talk about really serious stuff for a longer amount of time than is appropriate in stand-up. Right. But it's so interesting and captivating that it makes sense as a setup because you're still getting stuff out of it. Absolutely, yeah. And I definitely don't feel capable, and I don't know other comedians that are able to talk about stuff seriously for that long without a laugh. And I think part of what Chappelle does is that he will talk about that stuff, but his jokes are bombs. Like they, yes. they are so funny. It's yes. not just like a little pitter patter punchline at the end. No, it's just a monster of a. And of it's a, worth of a joke. it. It makes the whole serious time worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just him talking about something seriously would also be worth it. That's sure. why I think why it goes so well together. And that's why people like to see him in interviews too. Yeah. Right. He's just a fascinating. He's so interesting... philosophical. Yeah. Yeah. I'm obsessed with him. That's a good person to be obsessed with. Yeah, that was my next question. What's your, what's your obsession for the week? Dave Chappelle, <laughs> love him every week, all week. Well, so here's the thing. I was just talking about it with somebody that our generation, there's nothing that we all watch at the same time because nobody has cable TV. Mm-hmm. Like 
maybe sports and stuff, but there's sports no... Sports is the only TV thing, because yeah. you have to watch it at that time. Yeah, but there's no show that we all watch. Like, I mean, kind of in my community, The Bachelor, it's like we're all watching it as soon as it comes out on iTunes, you know, the next day after right. it airs. Like, that's what's happening right now. But but you don't watch it at the same time. You're not all no. at 8 o'clock on Tuesday yeah. watching The Bachelor. But I know that when the Dave Chappelle specials dropped, mm-hmm. we all watched it the same day. Right. Sure. Like, my boyfriend and I were in Ottawa when the first two dropped. Because he did two, and then he waited a year, and then he dropped another two. Yeah. So the first one, my boyfriend and I waited till 3 a.m. because it was midnight Vancouver time. We were in Ottawa. We'd have till 3 a.m. for it to get uploaded, and we watched both of them. It's nice. And it was, like, so cool, and it felt like... Um, like everyone was doing it because he had been gone for so long and he was so good and it's so mysterious like how he disappeared like it's the most interesting story in comedy and we don't know anything about it and in the second series of two that he dropped at the end he said he's going to disappear for a little while because it's too hot right now Mm -hmm. and like he implies like that this crazy thing happened to him that made him try to disappear from show business and doesn't say what it is and I've scoured online and nobody knows sure, and it's like yeah. it's such a mystery it's so interesting like it seems like he's gonna wind up dead or something like like it seems i don't know if he's just doing it to be dramatic or if it's the most interesting story in the world it's very fascinating and, yeah. he, and he himself pulls it off because he's a compelling performer yeah right is is that actually your obsession of the week because i was going to ask you that like ask, for my podcast yeah well, well, let's go through the podcast first. Let's what tell me about your podcast. You joined all the basic bros. You did it. You have your own podcast. Yeah, Congratulations. Thank you. What is it about? Because you actually have a theme to yours. Yeah. So mine's called Obsessed with Sophie Buttle. We uh, have guests on. We talk about what we're obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Obsessed, loose term. Like, it's just something you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've done Dave Chappelle yet, but I like it. I think it's a, I think it's a positive... Um, atmosphere because a lot of comedy is negative like I think that the easiest way to do comedy is to make fun of something Mm. so I like having people on to talk about something they're excited about right and sometimes people are upset like last week on the episode my friend was obsessed with revenge but you know what I I still think that it's positive yeah and I like to have positive if you feel good at the end then uh, whatever yeah exactly but I don't think that like positive comedy is like there's like there's always somebody on those roast shows that does like a compliment roast. Yeah. And I don't think that that's particularly funny. No. But I think that it. No, I mean I liked when Norm Macdonald did it. Okay. Um, but I didn't really like when Andy Samberg did it. I don't okay. know. I don't know why. I think I love roasts though, so I am annoyed. Doesn't matter. It's okay. Not, it's not my point. Yeah. But I don't think that positive comedy is like missing or anything i just think that it's nice in a podcast to start with on a positive note mm-hmm. and then we'll descend into depression afterwards like if everyone's in comedy like they'll we'll get there but let's start on a higher sure note give it a give it the old college try yeah yeah i've listened to the podcast i've listened to a couple episodes i'm a fan i love the idea what? yeah Thank no you. i totally am and i love the idea of talking about something that you're really into just for that week. And obviously it's not going to be a perfect week in terms of every week you have an obsession. But for me as a podcaster, I have to deep dive into either the guest or the issue that I'm talking about. So that's why I think it really resonates with me because I do feel like every week I have a new obsession. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think it's cool. And you learn about stuff. I, I listened to the episode with, with Ivan and I felt like I 
learned a lot. Yeah, that's the thing. You end up learning a lot because somebody talking about something that they're passionate about makes you interested in that thing because that's someone who's done enough research that they've found the interesting things about that topic. Yeah. So I've always been aggressively not into science. Like science just has never, I've never made I thought sense to me. I thought your boyfriend is a comedian slash quantum physicist. He is. And that is my point. It's yeah. like I, when we started dating, he started telling me about quantum physics and its connection to consciousness and like like all of these things that are so interesting and so up my alley that I've never looked into because just the the um the window of the umbrella of science has seemed so boring to me Hmm. and something that because I just remember science in high school having to learn the periodic table like I didn't understand anything that was exciting about it and then when you talk to someone that's that you think is interesting that is passionate about something, then you get into it too because you get to hear all of the cool things that they've figured out and their theories. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically a scientist is what you're saying. I'm a scientist, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're now working on solving prime numbers. Right. It's our new project. Sorry, I got a frog stuck in my throat there. No, that's accurate for our project. <laughs> <laughs> um, before I let you go... I was not planning on this, but I've learned that you have a ton of beefs in town. I have so many beefs. You want to air some dirty laundry before we wrap this up? <sighs> um, what was not the first beef? What was the other beef? That I, oh, laugh lines. Okay. Laugh lines. So, yeah. What's what's your deal with them? Okay, like so, a nice place. Yeah, yeah. So laugh lines is a club in New West. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are like. I don't want to say they're a mob front, but I don't know that they're not. <laughs> right. And so they were actually pretty good to me. They gave me my first ever guest spot. They gave me my first ever headline weekend. And then like a year or two after. Do my... they pay in cash only? Uh, yeah, they paid me in cocaine. So that's <laughs> why I'm curious. Might be, a, might be a mob front then. Yeah. <laughs> but so like a year after, um, I emailed and was like, can I headline again? I'm doing like this thing. Mm-hmm. And then I got this email back that was like, no, you can't. Because uh, we have a note here next to your name that said that you slandered the the club online. There's a lot of slanderous online interesting issues and accusations. I, yeah, and like I scanned back through all my stuff, and I don't think I even posted that I was doing shows there. Like, hmm. like I think I literally did not mention them at all online. So I was like, okay, well, can you tell me what it was? And then they never answered. So Laugh Lines is on my shit list. They didn't let me go back. And they didn't even tell you what it was. They didn't tell me what it was. They just said that there's something I said online that they didn't like. You sure not? You weren't like in debt to them or they weren't in debt with to no, you? No, and or... it's like so weird because now obviously I'm slandering them, but that's after they told me that I was doing it and I wasn't. <laughs> so I feel like if I'm getting in trouble, I might as well do what they say. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, you're not performing at Laugh Lines tonight. You're performing at Yuck Yucks. Yeah. It doesn't matter to the to the listener, but I'm going to be there. Yay. I'm there on a second date. Ooh. So it all, you know, hinges on you. No pressure. <laughs> I'll make it happen. Please make it happen. Yeah. I have to say it was an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. Would you like to plug your social media, your album, which we've already talked about, but plug whatever you'd like. Sure. Yeah. On um, on Instagram, I'm Buds. On Twitter, I'm Sophie Bunnell. But if you if you like podcasts, please check out my podcast because I'm really trying to trying to expand on that guy, and I love podcasting so much. And it's it's hard to get anything started, um, but I'm yeah I'm really I'm really into my podcast. So check out Obsessed with Sophie Buttle. It's on everything. It's on all the platforms. Yeah, and then also my my album is free on on Spotify and Apple Music if you have that. 
if you don't feel like buying it, but you can if you want to. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I feel like in spite of being much older than you, I'm in the presence of greatness. You're blowing up. Thank you. This was a real treat. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, she is taking the city by storm. Dirty joke after dirty joke. Indulge yourself in her obsessions on her podcast. Laugh yourself silly on her new comedy album. And if you're flying Air Canada, check her out on your in-flight entertainment system. She is the one and only Sophie Buttle. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.